Morning, church family. It's good to see you this Lord's Day. For those of you online, I welcome you as well. Glad you're joining us for this service. I have two things I want to tell you before uh, we get into the message today. The first thing is we've got to celebrate a new baby born to the church family, uh, Caleb David Parody. He's right over there. I can see him in the third row, fourth row. A wave to us, little David. Okay, Caleb, Caleb David, we got a wave. Uh, he's too little. He's only a week old, so let's praise God. Born to Drew and Nikki, he was born last Sunday, December 12th, so a uh, new little baby to the church family. We praise God for that. All right, the second thing is, um, I, maybe this will be good for some of you, I'm not sure, but I got to wrap things up a little sooner than normal today. Uh, <laughs> we've got preschoolers coming in to uh, bring about uh, some Christmas music and sharing with us uh, the songs of Christmas uh, today at the end of the service and then at the beginning of the 11 o'clock service. So uh, you can be anticipating that. We look forward to it always being a fun time, sharing that time with the kids. All right, uh, before we get into the Word, let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness today as we celebrate Christmas once again. Year after year, we find ourselves taking time as the family of God, reflecting on the significance of Jesus being sent, fully God, fully man, to this world as a fulfillment of your promise to us, God, to bring about somebody who would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one and only one who could take away our sin and give us life. We praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. There's something unique that happens every year at Christmas time. And the unique thing I'm talking about is that Christians all over the world gather, at least during Advent, to recognize and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh given to humanity to be the Savior of the world and to bring life, hope, peace, and joy to all who believe in Him. We take time to reflect on God's promises to us and how his promises are fulfilled through his son given to us at Christmas time, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is filled with promises of God about sending to us the Messiah, a Savior, who would save people from their sins. And, and that's the focus that we give each Christmas season to the story about the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, something happened to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's in Advent season, but the first Sunday of December was the Sunday I was installed as the senior pastor, which means now I've been serving in my role for one year. And it dawned on me that I probably have another good 30 years or more left. But also looking backwards to the 20 years plus that I have given, realizing Wow, for 50-some years, we have to creatively try to think about how we can make Christmas unique and special because, after all, it's one of those stories where it's easy to just say, yeah, I've heard that before. Pastor John, I see you, and I know now what you've gone through for those so many years. But this year, what we're going to do is focus on a few different aspects of the Christmas story. Last week, Pastor Dave introduced you to the idea that Jesus was sent as Emmanuel, which means he is God with us. Today, we're going to take a look at uh, really 
the idea that Jesus was sent to be human like us so that he could identify with us, bring life and salvation to us as well. So that's what we're going to look at today and a little bit later on this week when we gather together for a Christmas celebration, we're going to take a look at the reality that Jesus was sent to be Savior for us. The Christmas story is all about the birth of Jesus Christ. I have been very fortunate to be able to be in the room and present with uh, all five of my children being brought into this world. Uh, The first one, Josiah, uh, before he was born, I passed out. Um, But don't worry, I recovered well and quickly, got re-engaged in the game, and it was everything was a success at the end. Um, The second child, Grace, uh, I actually survived the birth process. It went so quickly, but it was after that that I passed out. And so, but I recovered well, and all is good. Uh, Noah, our third child, see, things just seem to go well all around, and, and outside of a few moments of being queasy, I endured that process quite well. Our fourth child was a bit of a surprise, and uh, by the time he came out, I was all sorts of worked up, and we made it through that as well. There was a bit more complicated with him, but, but all in all, I think because I had to give more attention to my wife, you know, it was, it was one of those things where we made it just fine. By the fifth one, it was easy going. Anna, I mean, that was easy. You know, the, the, the thing about it is, is I'm, I'm talking about my experience, not Gwen's. It's a little bit harder for her. And, and, and every time we gave birth to a child, she would say, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'd say, you're such a quitter. Why do we have to talk about this now? But you know, <laughs> through the midst of pain and hardship, For those of you who have had the experience of being a mom and giving birth, comes a joy that seems to eliminate the pain that you're experiencing. And as dads, it's in those moments that we hold this little child in our hands and and, and we look at this child and, and, and we wonder, what in the world? Now what? I remember we going home from the hospital with Josiah and the nurse came out and brought us to the door. I mean, at this point, they've like done everything and told you what to do. And you're, you know, you're going to, everything's going to be fine. And, and they even load the baby in the car and the door shuts. And I look at Gwen and I said, is she doesn't come with us? <laughs> oh, no, we're like, is it okay to like, we can leave, right? Okay. But looking at this baby, a couple things come to mind. Number one, uh, wow this child is a huge responsibility. And, and, and as parents, it's, it's our job to not only keep them alive, but to help them to grow up, uh, to find purpose and meaning in life, to experience all that life has for them, and, and to do it in such a way that they know God and are known by God. But there also comes another thing that is maybe an equal weight of the sense of responsibility, and that is the curiosity of wonder. What will this child look like? What will this child be like? What will this child do? What is the purpose for which God actually sent this child into the world? And I can't help but think that all of those thoughts were going through Mary and Joseph's mind. 
when they held baby Jesus in their hands. When they looked at God in the flesh who came to be with us, who came to identify with us, and who came to save us. You know, they had an advantage where they had the whole, whole Old Testament that kind of talked about who the Messiah would be and what he would do and his purpose in life and, and all of these things. And yet, we don't necessarily have that same information as new parents, do we? What Joseph and Mary did. The one thing we know for certain is that every one of us have been born to know God and to be known by God. But in terms of what specific purpose we're here to fulfill, sometimes we just wait and foster and help that happen. But for Mary and Joseph, they were told about this child who would come into this world through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Imagine now the sense of responsibility when they're holding the Christ child in their hands, and, and, and they look at him and they realize for maybe the first time that here is the Wonderful Counselor, <laughs> the Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right here. I, I, I only wonder what they thought about Jesus. Isaiah writes about Jesus, the Christ child, being born some 700 years before this event actually took place. As Isaiah writes, he tells us a couple things. Number one, that Jesus would be born divine, fully God. That Jesus would be born human, like you and me. God, fully, God, fully human. Jesus, the incarnation, God in the flesh. Isaiah tells us that Jesus was sent originally to God's people, the nation of Israel, to be their Messiah. But more than that, that Jesus was given to the world as a gift to be the Savior of the world, to save you and to save me from our sin. In Matthew chapter 1, as Sam read for us before the sermon, we take note of the account of how this baby was brought into the world and was, was born unto us. The birth of Jesus took place in this way, and we know how that was, that Mary, the mother of, jo or Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, was engaged to be married to Joseph, and then she was found to be with child, and Joseph was like, hmm, this isn't right, that's not mine. I wonder what I should do, because I think she's cheating on me. Well, God shows up and he says, Joseph, don't worry the child found in Mary is of God by the Holy Spirit. Stay with her. And when she gives birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus. And so Joseph does as the Lord commands, and Jesus is born, and he's given the name 
Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, Pastor Dave introduced us to the idea that Jesus was born into this world as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Remember, he, all of us are in need of people's presence with one another. And Jesus was given as a present to be present with us so that we could not only be safe from our sins, but we could be in the presence of God here and now, but also into all eternity. And that's good news. Today, we, as we focus on the humanity of Jesus as God's gift to us, the importance of the humanity of Jesus and the implications that it has on our lives today cannot be overstated. You see, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be human like us so that he could identify with us and make a way for us to be saved. There's three things that I want us to focus on today in terms of Jesus becoming human like us. He became human like us to identify with us, to die for us, and to give life to us. So if you're taking notes, point number one this morning is that Jesus became human to identify with us. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, it says this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet is without sin. So Jesus is known as the high priest, the great high priest for you and me who belong to the family of God. Well, who is the high priest and why does that matter? The high priest is the highest uh, religious authority within the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. The high priest was the one who uh, would stand as the mediator between God and his people. And it was the role of the high priest to enter into the most holy place of the temple once a year, and offer a sacrifice for the atonement of the sin of God's nation. Essentially, he would offer the sacrifice and, and, and sprinkle the blood as, as an atonement and as a plea with God to be a merciful God who would forgive the sins of God's people. This happened once a year. But now... The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. What does that really mean? Well, what it means is that because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross through the finished work of his death and his resurrection, for all who have responded to the gospel by receiving the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, we can look to him as the one who is our mediator, our great high priest, who offered the once for all sufficient sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And by his blood, we can find forgiveness and the covering of our sin. With Jesus as our high priest, there is no other mediator between sinful people and a holy God. It's Jesus only. 
See, Jesus stands between us and God, and he pleads our case of being righteous in the eyes of God for those who by faith trust in him. What that means is that Jesus doesn't stand and plead our case of righteousness because of anything we have done, because of our goodness and because of our righteousness. What Jesus does is stand in our place and he pleads our case of righteous standing before a holy God because of what he has done for us. He points to the cross and he says, because what I did on that cross and because the blood that I shed that covers their sin, they are to be found righteous in my eyes. And so Jesus pleads our case of righteousness before a holy God. Not only is our sin covered by the blood of Christ and we're found to be righteous in the eyes of God because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in us, but we can have confidence that our high priest is someone who can identify with us in every situation and is willing to meet our needs along the way. In his humanity, Jesus subjected himself to all of the kinds of trials that, that, that we experience, uh, to all of the limitations that uh, we have as human beings. He experienced himself as fully God and fully human. He's able to sympathize with us through our temptations and through our struggles and through our weaknesses. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like uh, to be angry. As I said, he subjected himself to all of the limitations of humanity. The scriptures tell us that, that, that Jesus was tempted, that he was persecuted, that he was poor, that he was despised, that he suffered physical pain, and that he endured a horrible and cruel death. Because Jesus, our high priest, was made to be human like us and to experience life like us, he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness and through our temptations. One of the unique differences, though, between Jesus and us is that Jesus did not have a sin nature. And all through his temptations, and his weaknesses, he was able to overcome them without sinning, which we are not on our own. But he wants to help us to live like him too, a life without sin. Now, there's a, a word that some of you might be familiar with. Uh, many call it hangry. When you're hungry and you get angry, you kind of act differently. Well, this past week, um, my wife and I took Noah, our middle child, to the cities to have his eyes checked, and, and uh, it was, happened to be on, on Thursday when the roads were terrible, and we got a good report, by the way, so let me get that out of the way. So we drive there. I'm stressed from the roads. You know, we sit in the doctor's office a long time. We come back. Uh, by now, I'm hungry, and I'm stressed, and now I'm angry. And I can remember praying, Lord, help me to be kind and not act out to the drivers around me. Help me to be kind to my wife because she's put me on the edge right now. Maybe I'm on the edge and she's not doing that, but uh, yeah. 
help me to be kind to my son and because I'm frustrated and all these other things, right? So, so now I'm, I'm pleading with God through this. Now, Gwen and Noah don't know this, but I really am. Like, God, help me in this time because, like, I, my flesh wants to just be, and, and they're like, you're kind of edgy. You know what's going on? I mean, Gwen usually keeps Snickers in her purse for me because I'm like, Arr! so... So, you know, we have some hard conversations. I was a jerk at times. I was kind at other times. But, you know, the bottom line is, is it was in that moment that where I'm like pleading with God, like, help me because right now I just want to act a certain way and I know I shouldn't. And, and, and God intervened and he gave me everything I needed. But the reality was, it was when I accepted what he gave me that I was able to be living without sin in that moment. Uh, but when I rejected what he gave me, I would sometimes sin in that moment. And, and that's a reality for all of us that we have to come to terms with. A simple illustration of how this works, but think about other areas of your life that are maybe a bigger deal. Your marriage is broken. Family life is broken. Your job isn't going well. Uh, God can meet you in, in, in those times of need, and he can give you what you need to get through those times. Here's the key. In a way that honors God and is without sin. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to meet us in all of our needs because he can identify with us in all of our struggles. He promises to not only meet our needs, but help us to become overcomers. And when we do that, we live to the glory of God. Now, Jesus was able to do that because he submitted himself always to the will of the Father. And he wants to help us do that as well as Christians. The second thing we can say that Jesus became human like us for is, is to die for us. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, wasn't long ago we took time to look at this passage, but I want to remind you uh, how important it is. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons or daughters of God. This is probably one of the greatest Christmas verses in all of the Bible that talk about the real reason that Jesus was born into this world. Because we've spent so much time on this, I'm just going to do a, a quick run-through to help you realize how important this verse is to helping us realize the significance of Jesus' humanity given to us in this world. When did Jesus come? When the fullness of time had come. That's what the Bible says, that God sent his son. When was the fullness of time? You can make many arguments for that, but one of the realities is it's just the time in human history that was based on God's sovereign plan and will and purpose for the Messiah, the Savior of the world to come. It is that simple. The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. Who did he send? His son. Jesus came like us as human, but he was fully divine as God's son. He also came born of a woman, human like us, Mary's son. He was subjected to all the limitations we had. God, Jesus, fully God, Jesus, fully human. He was born under the law. All humans are born under the law of God. Uniqueness to this reality is that since the fall of Adam and sin entered the world, we now as human beings have a sin nature. Remember I mentioned earlier, that's what's uniquely different about Jesus. In his divinity, he didn't have a sin nature. So he could 
overcome the temptations through submitting himself to the will of the Father, which he wants to help us do through the Spirit in us as well. But to be born under the law is a reality for all of humanity, including Jesus. To be born under the law means that because of our sin nature, we're guilty of transgressing the law of God. And because Jesus didn't have a sin nature, he wasn't guilty of that the moment he was born. But notice that he came to redeem those, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. To redeem something is to pay the full price for. The full price for our sin, according to God's word, is death. So Jesus came to pay the price for our sin by dying for us and by shedding his blood. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. According to God's standard, and according to his requirements within the word of God, what we realize is that it would take a perfect human being living a sinless life to fulfill the law of God, upon which that's exactly what Jesus did. And it was Jesus then who became the perfect sacrifice for you and me when the killing of animals and the blood of an animal was a temporary allotment for temporary forgiveness of sin. It looked forward to the day that Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice and whose blood would cover our sin for all eternity. This is why the humanity of Jesus is so important because he fulfilled what humans couldn't do by fulfilling the law of God so then he could take our place, die for us, and give life to us and forgive us of our sin. Jesus accomplished the redemption of humanity on the cross by exchanging his righteousness for our sinfulness. Our righteousness is then therefore dependent on his sacrifice, not on anything that we do or can do on our own. And then Paul says that Jesus was brought into this world so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. Simply put, this is how we become reconciled to a holy God as a sinful human being. By the blood of Christ and through his righteousness, we can be brought into the family of God. And when we're brought into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus places his spirit in us, which gives life to us. And now that we're born of the spirit, we become part of the family of God. Christ's righteousness, which is what it means to be justified. By the way, when we're justified in Christ, we have 100% of Christ's righteousness given to us, 100%. And when that happens, we now are not only part of the family of God, but God now looks at us, not as sinners, but as righteous people in the eyes of himself and who are part of the family of God. 2 Corinthians, Paul says in verse 521, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. How great is that? 
Jesus, who is without sin, became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It was because of Jesus that we now have a way to have our sin forgiven and be found right in the eyes of God. As a result, we can now experience abundant life here and now, life full of the Spirit, and we can experience eternal life with God in the future. And that is what the good news of the gospel is all about. The third point is that Jesus became human like us to give life to us. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Sounds exclusive, doesn't it? Because it is. The reality is Jesus came to identify with all of humanity. He came to die for all of humanity. He came to give life to all of humanity. The sad news is, is that not all of humanity will experience that. Because it's only when we receive him that we can experience identifying with God and he with us, the reality of him dying for our sins, and the reality of him giving us life. This life is found in all those who receive Christ. Forgiveness of sin is for everybody, but not everybody will receive that because not everybody will receive him. This is the tension of the good news, bad news story. And unless we understand how bad the bad news is, we can never really understand the goodness of the good news. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, we read these words. And this is the testimony, it's really God's testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The baby born in a manger to us is God incarnate, God in the flesh, human like us, fully God, fully human, who is brought into this world and given the purpose to bring forgiveness to sin and make a way for people to find life and eternal life in him. Remember, Jesus did for us what we could not ever do for ourselves. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis wrote, the central miracle asserted by Christmas is the incarnation. They say that God became man. If the thing happened, it was the central event in the history of the earth. And this event, let me remind you, did happen some 2,000 years ago. Jesus, God's one and only Son, was born into this world fully God, fully human, so that we could identify with him and he with us. And in doing so, we could find life and salvation through God's one and only Son, 
Jesus the Christ child, Jesus the Savior of the world. That's what the good news of Christmas is truly all about. Yes, God came, Emmanuel, God with us to be with us, but he also came to be human like us, to not only identify with us, but to bring life and salvation to us. And that is why we celebrate Christmas each year. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, for the gift of life and forgiveness and salvation that you bring as we take time this Christmas season to be mindful of why, Jesus, you came. Help us to remain committed to the truth and the reality of the Christmas story, that you came, fully God, fully human, to identify with us and to save us from our sin. In Christ's name, amen.